So today we're reading from Romans chapter 7, starting at verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the Lord is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is the sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do not want to do, now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the mind, the law of the mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Sorry, thanks, Poppy. Um, as you've already heard, um, my name is Hendre, and I've got the privilege of helping us um, look through the back end of Chapter 7 of Romans this week, and um, before next week, we'll look at the first portion of Chapter 8. Um, I think these are great portions of Scripture, um, and they're ones that in my own life have been um, super helpful at different periods in helping me think through and grapple with my own sinfulness before God. Um, so I hope our time together is helpful. But before we get into this passage specifically, or the context of it, I thought I would uh, start with a question. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you are asking someone a question, but if you're honest with yourself, you don't really want the answer? Maybe you've been working on a project or a piece of work and it's come time to ask for feedback but you really aren't sure you want to hear what they have to say or um, maybe you've had a doctor's appointment and had to ask them what's going on with your health but um, the idea of the answer scares you or perhaps like me you've asked your wife what's wrong and you're terribly afraid that this time you might not just get the generic nothing I think this is something of what is going on um, in this passage. Uh, we see Paul, the author of the book of Romans, writing to the Roman church. They're clearly grappling with some questions about the law and its place now that Christ has come. What is the law for? What was its purpose? How does it still apply to them now? But as Paul answers them, I think it's something they and we don't want to hear. That is, as they wrestle with the role of the law, which Paul helped them see, was to reveal their sin, they begin to wonder whether the law was in fact a bad thing. By the laws making something sin, 
Would it not have been sin if it wasn't for the law? Is the law actually evil? But Paul answers in verse in that in chapter seven and chapter six, saying certainly not. And he declares in chapter in sorry, he declares in verse fourteen that we had read to us. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. The problem was never with the law. The problem was with us or with them. It's not that the law was too harsh or us for too much, but it was our humanity's inability to live up to God's standards. That's a pretty hard truth to swallow. Paul continues in verse 15 saying, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. Even if our desires are set in the right place, even if we desire to do the right things, so often we fall short. We don't have to look too far to know that this is true. We can just look to the custom of New Year's resolutions. Has anyone ever kept a New Year's resolution? I don't know that I've ever heard of one that's made it all the way through the year. We all want to be healthier, all want to exercise more, all want to be more generous and maybe learn how to play an instrument without ever enrolling for lessons. But time and time again, we find ourselves at the drive through at Macca's, lounging on the couch in front of Netflix and not wanting to share that block of chocolate with the rest of the family. Doing the wrong thing just seems to come so much easier. But this is also not just true of New Year's resolutions, but it is true of our sanctification, of our growing in holiness and the dealing with sin in our lives. We keep on falling, stumbling, or at times even running into sin. Often, this is because we have warped desires, because we fall for that shallow promise that sin offers, the short-term satisfaction. But as we are reminded in today's passage, it is even when our desires are in order that we fall into sin. Even when we desire to live godly lives, to live pure lives, we end up falling short. Whether it be because our motives get corrupted, because of a lack of willpower, or just our inability to to not stumble along the way, time and time again we fail. And so we feel this tension between our sinful nature but our desire to glorify God. As Paul writes here about this dilemma, we see him twice saying that it is no longer him who is doing these things, but the sin in him. We see this in verse 17, where he says, As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. And in verse 20, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. 
We all have different personalities and different dispositions, and inevitably, for some of us, um, we feel the weight of our sin much more acutely than others. We feel the burden and the guilt of that. And if you are someone inclined that way, a passage like this can provide some comfort, some solidarity of helping to explain why you might continue to sin. It can help make sense of what is going on, to make sense of our experience. But is Paul really saying here that he is not to blame for his sin? Unfortunately, that's not the case. Although sin living in us might be the cause of our sinful behaviors, it does not mean we bear no responsibility. Paul is not here giving us a license to just sin as much as we want, as he's already clarified in chapter 6, verse 1, when he said, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. And he continues then in verse 12 of that chapter, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Paul is not giving us a get-out-of-jail-free card to just do what pleases us. But rather he's continuing to paint a picture of this dichotomy at work, of the tension between our sinfulness and our desire to do that which is good. This tension, this dichotomy, as uncomfortable as it might be, is to be expected in the life of a believer. Whilst we continue to live here in a world corrupted by sin, and ourselves included in that, we have at the same time been made new. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. We have been made new, given new desires, new priorities. And so it is only right that living in a sinful world, we feel that tension. That tension is good. We ought to feel that tension. Because sin no longer has a place in our lives. We are no longer just to follow the desires of the flesh, as Galatians 5.24 says. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Do you feel this tension in your life when you sin? Do you feel the dissatisfaction of the ongoing presence of sin in your life? Because as believers, we ought to feel that. But if I'm honest, at times the idea that sin is an ongoing reality becomes too normal and I get too used to the presence of sin in my life that it no longer shocks me when it rears its head. That it no longer causes offense to us to see it in ourselves and each other. Let us not be content with that. As a people who have been made new, we need to be willing to sit with the discomfort of this tension. Would you pray 
that God will be growing you in disdain for the sin in your life. That he would help you to notice its presence and help you to continue to desire instead that which is holy. To feel the tension of sin in our lives. A never-ending cycle. As you heard at the start of the service when Carl interviewed me, um, Jess and I um, recently welcomed Theo into our family. Um, Now, it's a bit of a cliche that new parents bring up their child into any conversation and inevitably whip out their phone and want to show you a bunch of photos. Um, So in order to avoid that, I thought I'd show you a video instead. Um, You see, our, our little Theo has reached a stage where he's perpetually rolling onto his tummy from his back, but he's forgotten how to roll back the other way. He doesn't like being there, causes a bunch of distress, um, and we'll quickly watch a brief clip of it. I apologize, it's a bit shrilly. No matter how many times he rolls into his tummy and dislikes that experience and regurgitates his previous meal, he keeps finding himself back in that spot. Not just once, not just twice, but continually. And as we read in verse 18 onwards, something of this is happening here. For I know that Good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, the law of sin at work within me. Just like Theo, as comical and ridiculous as it might seem, there are times when we find ourselves repeatedly back in the same spot, in the same situation, having just lost our temper again, having told a white lie to the boss about how a project's going, finding ourselves on the internet in places we know we ought not be. Not only is is there the reality in this life in a general sense that sin will continue to be present. But for most of us, there will also be seasons in life when we struggle with specific sins repeatedly rearing their head. Whether it be anger, 
lust or greed. Most of us will find us in a spot where the same thing keeps happening despite our disdain for that sin, despite our desire to no longer fail in that way. We will find ourselves falling short time and time again. This can be a pretty confronting, confusing, and at times unbearably frustrating process. Whilst we might not always feel the tension of sin in a general sense in our life, in these acute situations, we feel it all too clearly. How have I found myself here again? Why do we keep banging our heads against the same wall? And despite our best efforts, the age-old saying of, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again, just doesn't work. No matter how hard we try, it never seems to be enough. And having read this passage up to verse 23, it seems like this might just be the inevitable reality. What hope is there for us? Our only way out. Although in a passage like this, there might be some comfort or solidarity in seeing someone else's struggle with sin, in reality, we have been left with a pretty bleak picture. Is this just what we have to accept? No hope of resolution. Well, thankfully for us, this chapter doesn't end at verse 23. And Paul has much more to say on the topic of the condition of a believer in God's words. Although we can relate to this struggle and tension, there is more to be said for the life of the believer. And although we might at times feel stuck in this ongoing, never-ending cycle, a circuit breaker has been provided. We see this in Paul's closing portion of this chapter. Reading from verse 23, he says, What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself am in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. There are three things, three components featured here in Paul's closing remarks that I've borrowed from another person um, which I think are helpful in dealing with this seemingly endless cycle. They are honesty, humility, and a dependence on Christ. Honesty. The first thing here in verse 24 we see Paul doing is making an honest assessment of himself. The only way out of this cycle begins with us being honest. Honest about our own tendencies to sin. Honest about how pervasive sin is in our lives. It can be excruciatingly uncomfortable at times to take a hard look in the mirror. To ask those questions we don't want the answers to of others of ourselves, or of God. 
And Paul cries out, what a wretched man I am. That is the first and the essential first step in dealing with our sinfulness. Second is humility. That is that we need to realize that we aren't able to do this in our own strength. No, in our own strength, we do that which we do not want to do. Our willpower is not enough to keep us from sin. We need help. Just as Paul cries out, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? We, like him, need to have the honesty and the humility to realize we need a rescue. We need to realize whilst the old age saying of if at first you don't succeed, try, try again, might be true in some contexts that it doesn't apply perfectly to our sanctification. Our efforts aren't enough. We need a rescuer. And that brings us to the third component. Not only do we need to be honest and acknowledge our need for rescue, but we also need the right rescuer, the only one who is able to help us in this situation. As Paul says, Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so, whilst we as believers might still struggle with sin, and whilst we can relate to this chapter in this tension and this struggle to do that which we want, that is not the entirety of our experience. It is not the entirety of our reality. We are not just caught in an endless cycle with no way out. Whilst we were once slaves to sin, we have now been made slaves to Christ. Jesus Christ, God's only Son, came as a circuit breaker to stop this cycle and free us from the captivity to sin. So, when we feel this tension between the sin in our life and the desire to do what is good, we need not be dismayed, but instead we can rejoice and thank God. Thank God that he has given us a new heart and these new desires. Feeling the tension is a good thing. And we can be honest about our own state, about our sin, because as Paul had previously written in Romans 5, verse 10, for if while we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Our relationship with God is not based on our ability to adhere to his law, but on Christ's faithfulness. And having rejoiced, we can humbly approach our God and ask him to be at work in us through his spirit, to be working out our sanctification. No longer is it just down to our efforts of trying harder and doing better. Because, as Paul says in Romans 6 verse 10, 
The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Because of Christ, we can have hope of victory over sin in this life. So keep trying. But even more than that, keep praying that his spirit would be at work. And even greater than the hope we have in this life, we have the sure hope that the victory over sin has already been won. And for those who are in Christ Jesus, there will be a day when sin no longer mars anything of our experience. But instead, we'll get to enjoy the fullness of relationship with God, worshipping him forever and being in his presence perfectly, our Lord, our God, and our Father. What a glorious hope that is to hold on to when we feel the tension of sin in this life. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this portion of your word and for the way in which so many of us can relate to the experience of our own iniquity and inadequacy to live according to your word, to live holy lives. But God, we thank you that you have provided a way for us to relate to you not based on our own ability to do good in our own strength, but that you have given us your son to reconcile us to you through his faithfulness and that you have given us your spirit to be at work in us, strengthening us, purifying us, and sanctifying us. Lord, we so look forward to that day when sin will no longer be a stain upon us and when we will be able to delight in you and in your presence perfectly. Help us to cling to that day and to not lose hope while we are still feeling the tension between sin and holiness in this life. Amen.